Hello and welcome to the Bunkerzilla Film Raw here at Bunkerzilla UK, the place for you for everything to do with movies and uh, yes, in in light of today's uh, coronavirus filled world, it's all about the movies you can watch online on all good streaming services. I'm your host Ian Bolton and I'm joined as always by my cinematic partner in crime, it is Christian R. Allen. Hello Christian. Hello Ian. Are we also talking about films that are on bad subscription services? Depends what films you want to talk about on bad subscription services. None, really. I should, it's a moot point. I shouldn't have raised it at <laughs> all. I feel like I've just wasted everybody's time. And that's Funkers and a Film Rule for this week, everyone. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye-bye. I mean, no, no, I, no, mean, no. I mean, it is a stripped-back approach. I mean, we can't leave our houses. Yeah, we are technically on lockdown. Da-da-da. Or could it be the lockdown of Ben? Oh. It's, uh, it's been eight years. Do you know, Dark Knight Rises is actually my go-to film whenever I'm testing a new player. I got, I've just got a brand new 4K player from LG. Oh, yeah. And it was just like, yep, just going to watch the aeroplane sequence at the beginning. Oh, yep, I'm just going to watch Batman and Bane fight at the courthouse. Yeah, <laughs> with all these slightly out of focus um, extras just desperately trying to appear like they're actually throwing punches at each other. I love it. Uh. I, eh. I've, 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 eh. I'm a pretty tolerant person. Right? I've, I've got a diverse set of friends who represent all political spectrums, all, all ethnicities, gender identities, etc. The only time I genuinely think to myself, I don't want to be your friend anymore, is when someone says, I don't like The Dark Knight Rises. And, like, and they turn around and say, Justice League was the movie of my time. No, that actually has happened recently, and I did scream at them and just walked away from the conversation. How do you and prefer Justice League to The Dark Knight Rises? I don't understand. I don't know. Is it, I mean, is it, you're entitled to your personal preferences, but to obje- say objectively one is... <laughs> Justice League is a superior movie to Dark Knight Rises. I'm just... Ah! So I, I realise I'm probably boring our entire audience to death. It's a never-ending argument. No, it Different is ended. T- I, it's not an argument. It's a... F- it's <laughs> This is why I come in and say Batman Forever was the film of my time. Oh, the weird thing about Batman Forever was, which people don't really appreciate, it was a, it was a huge hit and critically acclaimed. People loved it, apart from Tim Burton, who, um, if you ever read his autobiography, he talks about it. His, his two comments, I recall, were the fact that he thought the name was stupid because it sounded like, and I quote, a tattoo. Mm. And, um, uh, and the fact that he just watched it and with, he felt nothing. <laughs> they had no emotional response to the film at all, which is probably a lot worse than if he was just, you know, so angry he'd go off and do something crazy like remaking Planet of the Apes. And that went very well, didn't it? <sighs> uh, and then Planet of, the Ape, Planet of the Apes stayed away for so many years until it came back even better. I haven't, I haven't seen any of those. You're not, you're not seen the, the newer trilogy? No, no, I haven't. I've heard, Circus. Ra- I've heard rave things. I've seen... I've seen Rise and Dawn. I've not seen... I think it's either Battle or War. I don't know what the third title was. But I know the the first two I've seen were pretty good. And Andy Serkis is very watchable. And especially it's all the sort of um, uh, motion capture stuff is really, really good. It's a bit of a weird sort of contrast of casks, uh, casts. Because in the first one, you've got people like uh, James Franco and John Lithgow. And then you move into the middle section, the next film, and you've got people like Jason Clarks like... He's a different cast coming in. And I think the third one's Woody Howson as well. Yes, it is. Yes. As an yeah, evil so, uh, general. Evil general. 
Yeah. Because you always need evil generals who don't <laughs> understand the situation that they're in. So is this a loose trilogy? So we have The Dark Knight Rises, we have Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and Star Wars Episode Nine: Rise of the Skywalkers? Or Rise of Skywalker? No, it was Rise, Sk- of, Rise, Sky- of, Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. There was a period in between each word and the title, obviously. But, but when you say Rise, you've got to do it like um, Darth Sidious in Episode 3 of Rise. <laughs> That's a pretty good impersonation, actually. Why is it your main impersonation hurts me, but your Palpatine puts a little wry smile on my face? Do it. Let the hate flow through you. Oh, oh this is fantastic. Dirty. Can we... Dirty. <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you say you're the Senate, please, just for me? I am the Senate. All right, right one more, one more, and then I'll, I'll stop, I'll stop. Absolute power. Absolute power. we need to get you as despite the fact so if, if you're only listening to this because it's a podcast ian is um you're about one and a half foot taller than me aren't you about yes yeah, yes yeah, 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 yeah uh oh no i'm actually i'm i'm five eight so what does that mean so that means i'm taller you are still. Yeah, that means you're taller. Yeah, well done. Thank you. I'm glad you clarified Maths! my um, ma- <laughs> maths. Ladies, it works, ladies and gentlemen. Today's episode of uh, Film Raw was presented by the number, whatever the hell the difference is between us and inches. I can't work it out on the top of my head. This is not what the podcast is about. This is about films. As I was saying, to bring it back to films, you should cosplay as Emperor Palpatine, and I should be Darth Vader. And like, if anyone asks, why are you why are you Darth Vader when you're clearly like four foot two next to this could giant? You, could you do it as in, um, oh, who played who? David Prowse. Could you do it in the David Prowse voice? <laughs> well, there's that there's that great clip of him asking. Is that you are a traitor to the Rebel Alliance? Take away. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember who was interviewing him, but they they did ask him. So why why why, why wasn't your voice used for the role of Darth Vader? Oh, I don't know that, sir. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you to be honest, sir. Is that look? You are my son. He was, of course, Darth Vader. Of course, his second most famous role. He was um, primarily Green Cross Man. Yeah, uh, the the Green Cross Man. Yes. Yeah. Can you name yeah. another Green Cross Man? Jolly Green Giant. I was going to say John Pertwee, but... Yeah. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I'm sorry I haven't tapped into the Doctor Who world this time. How right? dare you? Oh, the podcast is ruined already. But yes, <laughs> movies is the name of the game. And as obviously cinema has all been shut down because of coronavirus, we are taking the next couple of episodes to do movies that are available on streaming platforms. So basically, if you have things like Netflix, Disney+, Plus, uh, even Amazon Prime, these are the films that you should be able to find quite easily on these to, uh, to stream and enjoy if you have those subscriptions. And I think this week's episode, we've got two from Netflix to talk about. Yes, they were recently released, I believe, your pick. Uh, was distributed what, about three weeks ago towards the beginning of the month and mine came online about uh, I think this week actually so they're pr- relatively yeah. release, uh, relatively recent releases although they're well one's nearly 40 years old now pretty much yes yeah, <laughs> uh, 79 your choice wasn't it yeah, 79, 1979 for me. Um, so let's crack on with it and get into things. Uh, my film pick for this episode is the classic Japanese animation, uh, The Castle of Cagliastro. Now, I do apologise if I've mispronounced that because I hear so many different versions. I'm going with the version that sounds right to me. Well, the, the first controversial conversation we need to discuss is it, is it Ghibli or Ghibli? Because the people who work 
for the studio seem to say Ghibli, but no one ever calls it. It's like GIF or JIF. Mm. Like, I, go, I, I go Ghibli. Yeah, I, I go Ghibli, Ghibli as well. Yeah, It's, it's yeah, more but- fun to say. It is more fun to say. Now, this is a 1979 uh, anime film from Miyazaki, and this is his feature film debut. Strangely enough, not the first Lupin animated movie. Uh, That was preceded earlier with uh, The Secret of Mamo, which is considerably different in tone, content, and story. Uh, And I'll touch on to that a little bit later on. But this is based off the long-running Japanese franchise of Lupin III, created by Monkey Punch. And essentially, uh, it is about Lupin III, a master thief wanted by Interpol who goes after illustrious treasures to steal. Now, in this film, he and his partner, Jiggin, an ace gunslinger, discover that the most recent loot from a casino robbery is made entirely of counterfeit bills. So they decide to head to the remote country of Caliestro, where they believe the bills have originated from. However, once they get there, they get caught up in an entirely different adventure, which sees them taking on a very... uh, egotistical baron who's trying to get the famed Caliestro royal family fortune by marrying the latest descendant of the royal family. Um, and in terms of the Loop in the Third franchise itself, I think Caliastro is probably the best way to get into Loop in the Third. It's the best introduction and it is a family-friendly way of getting into Loop in the Third. Consider it. And, um, I would consider it a mix of James Bond meets Indiana Jones with a little touch of Ocean's Eleven, depending on the films that you do go off and watch on Lupin the Third. Um, so this is a character who's been around anime and manga for decades, nearly over 50 years. And if you want something that encompasses everything to do with the Lupin franchise, I think this is the film to start you off with. And I don't think you've been that familiar with Lupin the Third, Christian. No, no, not at all. In fact, um, <laughs> to, to my embarrassment, I generally thought this was the third part of a series of films until I realised it's actually the second feature, isn't it? And it, it is. It, it's the yeah. character is Lupin the Third. Um, yeah. This is. I'm. I'm. I'm an anime fanatic. I, I love Japanese cinema in general. But I realised this is the oldest anime I've ever watched. Um, <laughs> really? I, yeah. My my cut off seems to be the mid eighties. Um, All right. Um, and it was quite interesting. Sort of like you see how anime has developed as a style significantly over the last 40, 50 years. Um, hmm. I did enjoy, I think you're right, not knowing anything about the characters, you kind of, the, the action throws you in, and the opening 10 minutes are generally quite thrilling. I mean, it's hard enough to, it's hard enough to film a, uh, an action, uh, a sort of a car chase sequence that captivates hmm. you. To animate one by yeah. hand is a staggering achievement. And, to that um, degree as well, of fluidity as well. Absolutely, I agree, yes. Because the animation is gorgeous, especially mm. in HD. Especially in HD now, it looks stunning. Yes, the, color, really the colours nice. are very vibrant. I mean, you could, Miyazaki, he loves European imagery. Um, mm. and, and it's interesting. He's, I don't know how much of an influence on the story he's had on this, or whether or not it's a straight adaptation from the original. Um, it, it was a manga, I presume, before being ad- it, adapted? I'm not entirely certain. I know he co-wrote the script. Ah, okay. Cause so I was, I I was think... going to say, in retrospect, there was a lot of Miyazaki in this. Mm. Um, you know, throw, throwing this Japanese story into the middle of what is effectively it's it's basically Luxembourg, is uh, pretty or, much or, or yeah. um or um uh, oh it, 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 Switzerland yeah Switzerland it's that kind of it's that kind of a setting, um, and yeah it, it feels I the loop the characters I immediately got straight away. I didn't need mm. to know the backstories. There's as amusing side characters. There's the police officer who's been chasing him from Japan, who sort yeah. of becomes a reluctant ally because obviously they need to fight the greater good. 
depending on what Lupin story you watch, it varies. Zenigata can be uh, a very... Is that the cop? Yeah, that's the cop. The Inspector Zenigata can be the most unfocused person in the world, in the room, or he's a bumbling buffoon. Okay, so he jumps so, between being Pryro yeah. and um, Cluso. Yeah, in this in this sense, he's more Poro in a way, or just more gumshoe, mm. because he's going, I know that wolf's going to come here at some point, and I need to f- make sure I stop it. <laughs> All that sort of stuff. I'm trying to imitate the uh, the dub voice on that one. I, I watched um, it subtitled. Okay, I watched it dubbed. Um, dub, dub for me is... It's fine. It's very passable. Um, I've watched so many different looping titles that I kind of have preferred voice artists for different <laughs> different characters. This one was okay. This one was fine. I think the the big issue I have with the dub is uh, they renamed Lupin to Wolf, and obviously oh. Lupin Wolf are, are virtually the same thing in in an essence. But oh, of course, it, yes, yes. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd have picked um, up on that. But it's just kind of well. You still have character. You still have Jigen. You still have Goemon. You still have Zenigata. You still have Fujiko and all that sort of stuff. Why don't you just keep Lupin? No it, it's a, it's a weird choice, but it, it may, it may the have dub- been the fact that he's Lupin the Third. I mean, the famous anecdote. I, I hope it's true. I hope it's true. The mm. test screenings for the Madness of King George the Third, where one of the most common responses was, "What happened in Part One and two? Yes, yes, I think I remember this. Yeah, so like, like you know, so if you're wondering why it's called the Madness of King George and not the Madness of King George the Third, blame American test audiences. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I, I think, I, I think you. It, it's not, it's not something that completely derails it. If you're an absolute purist, then you'll be fine with the subtitles. But to be honest, if you're, if you're a purist, yeah, exactly. The, the subtitles seem fine to me on, on Netflix. Um, mm. I, did, I didn't feel like I felt like it caught the nuance of the plot. Yeah, to me, not that I speak Japanese at all. Although it is strange when because it's a multi multinational multi ethnic representation in the film because it's, it's obviously it's Interpol. Yeah, everyone yeah. in the world speaks Japanese as far as I can say. Fluently, <laughs> fluently. Yeah, I was impressed. <laughs> I, I I took a look at a Japanese textbook and I'm like, nope, I do not have the brain for that. I could barely barely do English, as our poor listeners can attest to. Mm. But um, so, no, no. I also realise, and you'll probably agree with this. When I grow out the sideburns, I look exactly like Lupin the Third. Ah, there you go, cosplay. Yeah. cosplay idea. That's going to be your Zen- Can I? Can I be your Zenigata? Absolutely. It's Lupin the Third. Get him! <laughs> Get him! <laughs> See but, that? Um, that? No, I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. You, I'm glad I watched it because I'm a big fan of Ghibli. I'm a big fan of Miyazaki. I think this and Pocahontas are the only films I haven't. Or hadn't I should say for Lupin the Third scene, and mm. yeah, there's um the only drastic difference between this and his his more canonical work I'd say because this although he's the director and you can t- you could definitely tell this is a Miyazaki project, it doesn't feel like his film. Um, yeah, the, the lack of a particularly strong female protagonist is something that's obvious. Uh, not that not that I'm pretty, particularly critical of the damsel in distress. She has she does mm. you know, she is an interesting character, but she is kind of almost secondary to loop in the third yeah i I think you're on that on that side um not 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 it's not like it's like the worst sins of golden age disney you know oh no 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 not at all it's not like it's it's a it's a massive problem to the film it's basically it it is the part that it is in the film it's it's an adventure movie and we have a damsel in distress and we have an additional side character as well. Yeah. Other than that, most of the, the majority of the characters are male. Mm. So. Well, it's not a, again, that's not a problem itself. It's just yeah, quite unusual for Miyazaki. Um, mm. if, you, if you're more familiar with Princess Mononoke or Spirited Away or even oh. um, 
um, uh, is it pronounced Norsica? Norsica, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's probably some of these titles is I've only ever read them. So I don't mm. know. Actually, don't actually know how to pronounce them. I think there's the obviously things even like House of Castle and I don't. I forget the one about the planes. Um, oh, is it up on Poppy Hill. The wind rises. Uh, yes, that's yes, the one. Yeah. The wind that's rises. That's the fourth saw... part in our in our rises trilogy. Uh, <laughs> also, Miyazaki has a loose castle trilogy. You've got this film. You have Castle yeah. in the Sky, and you've got oh, Hell's yeah. Moving Castle. So. Ah. Castle. Three excellent films revolving magic castles. Well, two magic castles and a normal castle. That's all. <laughs> and a normal castle with deadly secrets. Deadly and, secrets, yes. And a giant clock tower, all that sort of stuff. So, but it's, it's so, interesting, like, 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 these films were coming out of Japan at this period and they still don't seem to have impacted the West. I mean, it's, it's only fairly last 20 years or so. It's my impression that the Spirited Away was what seems to have broken uh, the critical yeah. barrier, I'd say. I mean, for for a long time and probably for a, a very good period of time as well, I think at the moment you mentioned anime to anyone, I think I've mentioned this before on, on other shows like Trivial Titans, the moment you mention anime to someone back in like the late 90s or something like that, they immediately thought, oh, you're talking about porn. <laughs> you're, talking uh, about, you're talking about the tentacles and the naked ladies. Excellent. Yeah. So when you're trying to, when you're trying to talk... Uh, infused about things like Tenchi or Evangelion and stuff like that. Mm. It's just white noise. No, it's I, just I, white I've, noise I've in had, there. Um, I've had um, I've had work colleagues and friends of mine where I've tried to I've tried to explain to them various anime titles over the years um, because I, I was still put my hands up and think I think Princess Mononoke is the greatest animated feature period of um, regardless of where it's from. Mm. Um, but no, I, I've had one colleague turn around to me and she just looked disgusted. And she went, I can't believe people watch that sick stuff. It's evil what they what they make. And I'm just, I just, in my head, of course, I'm thinking of Spirited Away, or or, or even things like Dragon Ball Z and, and or even um, Pokemon, even <laughs> Pokemon, Pokemon, Pokemon was a huge, huge cultural impact. Even though the quality of the anime is not that uh, great, but you know, I, I I think of films like Ghost in the Shell or, or oh, yeah. our End of Evangelion. I don't think of the films that they have clearly seen randomly on the internet <laughs> <laughs> they've just stumbled stumbled upon by accident maybe who knows I, 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 let's assume that they've stumbled upon it by yeah, accident let's assume that yeah. let's assume that um so yeah i mean generally if you do like loop in the third there is a ton of stuff to go off and watch after this Absolutely. Uh, well, well any ghibli film that especially oh, like obviously any ghibli film yeah. yep miyazaki film uh but obviously if you want to follow up on the Lupin stuff there there are there are things available online at the moment so crunchyroll are doing the latest tv shows Lupin uh, so part four I gonna, and five. i was gonna ask you about this um yeah are all the Lupin the third animations canon towards one another is it a continued series because they're all described as part one part two part three Lupin the third part two Lupin the third part three the, the, the new yeah the numbering okay. system is driving me mad. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's a weird system, but in essence, they it's all kind of just a universe. Basically, what most things happen is, uh, in terms of looping stories, you can have a story that focuses on a, on a particular character. You can have one that focuses on, say, uh, Jigen, the, the gun, the gunman, for example. Yes. But by, by but by the end of it, everything's kind of resolved and everything is back to normal. It's kind of like an episode of The Simpsons in a way, oh, where so something, dra- so something drastic, much yeah, something drastic happens and something exciting happens for a moment, and then everything kind of just carries on. Now, for certain, some of the shows like Loop in the Third Part Four, 
things are still very self-contained in yeah. itself. So basically everything still goes back to normal, but uh, because at the start Lupin gets married, for example, and throughout most of the series it's the are they married, yes or no side of things. And then by the end of the series, they all go off on their separate ways again on their next sort of adventure. So you will come across Lupin stories where things are possibly going to change forever, but no, they they eventually all go back together. There's there's a lot of kind of like regular things to expect. Um, for example, you'll always expect Zenigata to be turning up at some degree, and at some point they'll always end up working together in some in some capacity, him and Lupin. Um, the female part of the gang, uh, Fujiko, doesn't have a major role in Caliastro, but in other films, she is kind of like... Um, Obviously, she's the 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 love of uh, the affection of Lupin. She's the, the love. Oh, so because the, there was life. an element of Rome. It, it felt it, it felt like they it felt like those two characters should have been the romantic focus in in Castle. Um, yeah. But obviously, that that had been taken away in order for Lupin and the princess character to, to spark up a romantic yeah. interest, and that felt a little bit off to me. The thing is, with a lot of the other Lupin films and stories. It's kind of like they're interested in one another, but nothing really happens. And mostly because Fujiko keeps flip-flopping between I'm in love with you, Lupin. No, no, I'm I'm just conning you so I can get the treasure for myself. <laughs> there are, Fujiko is a very kind of uh, troublesome character uh, for the gang in other stories. So there'll be stories where they'll be playing a heist, heist goes well, but then she's decided to do something so she gets a larger share of the portion of the, of the money and stuff like that and yeah so it's, it's, it's not, part of it's part of the game between them and it also adds the yeah. will they won't they kind of you know dynamic oh that. yeah absolutely yeah because you, yeah. you kind of don't want that to be answered really because you <laughs> it's, it's all part of the fun isn't yeah. it yeah but she was, she yeah, was definitely but, uh, between the two main uh female characters she was definitely the more interesting and it's kind of a shame she's only really in it for about five minutes it's just a bit of muscle the other side yeah. characters as well they say they seemed a bit superfluous but i don't mm. know that's just because it was a consequence of it being a spin-off feature and so you've already yeah. kind of know the characters but i would say as someone who was unfamiliar with the franchise aside from seeing the occasional cosplayer um i i felt this was a very good way to get be i felt indoctrinated and i really enjoyed it and um mm. i am interested in watching more um and um yeah it's one of those rare things where it's a it's the middle film in a franchise or you know a sequel or it's like the 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 building of a franchise exa- at that, exactly at that stage. yeah and i i didn't feel alienated at all so it, depending on your taste, it's where you go next. If you want to keep to like the light-hearted, family-friendly side of things, there are things like the Loop in the Third TV shows. They are they are pretty standard. Um, obviously, a lot more colourful, a little bit more uh, action-packed in today's animation. Um, and there are some other films that venture more into the eighteen-plus territory, more grindhouse. Um, they did a. They're currently in the process of doing some newer standalone films, or kind of like one-hour films. And each one of them has been focusing on each member of the gang. So you've had one where it's focused on Jig and the Gunslinger. Uh, you, there's one that's focused on the samurai character. There's one feature focusing on Fujiko. Um, but they're all done in a very grindhouse way. So they are very violent. Uh, they are very hypersexualized as well at times um because there, so, there, there was there was quite there were moments that surprised me of how violent this film was because I'm, I'm still seeing it as a um a family film like that there, there was, oh yeah so there was, yeah, there, some there was just... a soldier that's crushed to death there's a lot of there's a lot of bullet wounds and um oh yeah not that i'm particularly screamish for the things i was just surprised yeah um 
some go. I wouldn't. There is a, a higher level of violence, I guess, on some more of the adult ones. It depends which title you go for, really. Yeah. Um, so if if you're if you're thinking I've got young kids, I should put this on. Maybe do a little bit of research beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some some of the loop, some of the looping stuff is okay. Most of it will be about a PG twelve rating. But there are some titles out there that are more 15 and there are definitely one or two, especially with the Grindhouse-style ones, that are 18 mm. because this is this is where limbs are going off everywhere <laughs> as well. Well, I, I, must, I must say, one last, one last point, just now I'm thinking about it. Uh, you can tell this film has had a huge influence on Western animation from its uh, re- original release, uh, especially like Disney in the 80s. Um, there is a magnificent sequence at the end. I-, I won't give details away, but basically mm. the final confrontation takes place in a clock tower. Mm. And I've never seen um, clockwork animated so beautifully as this. If, if I could tell, like, um, if you've ever seen Basil the Great Mouse Detective, oh, yes. If you yes. realise that the, the, fi- the end sequence of that film is a virtual lift, <laughs> all right yeah. interesting um a different tone it's it's not comedic but it, it's the it's um yeah I, i'd say it's definitely on the homage scale which is right. yeah um uh, okie cool. by the way just i love basil the great mouse detective i think it's a really underrated disney movie and people should go and watch it but ignore on every disney other Plus. 80s disney movie because every other <laughs> 80s disney movie is bad and if you like so, oliver and company you should feel bad why should I worry? <laughs> Why should I? Eh, eh, eh. That's all I know from Oliver and Company. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope Billy Joel got a huge paycheck for that. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, bo- bottom line, uh, Castle Caliastro is great introduction to Lupin the Third. Yep. It's a really good Miyazaki film as well. Yep. It's a nice sort of Sunday afternoon adventure film that I think you could boot up and the family will be fine. Yeah, for, the, I, for, I... For, for about it's an, hour, it's an hour and 40 minutes, I think. Yes, yes. Uh, wait, yes. what, how are you? What's your star rating? Um, I would give this a strong four. Same, I think it's a four. Yep. I'm a exactly very same. strong four. Um, but yeah, if you like Lupin, there the the world is kind of your oyster. The only frustrating thing is a lot of Lupin's additional movies and that are not licensed in the UK or even America. The reason this is is because it's got Miyazaki's name attached to it. Pretty much. Um, but this was available in the UK before Spirited Away um, became a big success. Um, I think Manga did do a re-release of the film once uh, Spirited Away won the Oscar. And then uh, Optimum Pictures, Studio Canal, picked up the, the rights for Ghibli films over in the UK, where Disney picked it all up in America. Um, but um, if you do want to check out the shows, they are available on Crunchyroll. And you can also get it on uh, Loop in the Third Part 4 on Blu-ray from Anime Limited right now. Uh, so yes, that is available on Netflix. Speaking of also available on Netflix is Your Choice Christian. Yes, I chose this because I was desperate to watch it. It was released in IMAX theatres. And if you can see it in an IMAX theatre, please do. Um, it was the documentary Apollo 11, which was released on Netflix a week ago. Um, mm-hmm. It was created... Uh, Basically, the whole film is a montage of original film footage from before, during, and after the Apollo 11 mission. Uh, The director, Todd Douglas Miller, has done, I think, an incredible job taking what must be literally hundreds, if not thousands of hours worth of footage and presenting them. And it was, I think, about a 90-minute package. Um, there is no commentary as such. Um, it is, um, there are some 
audio expert excerpts from say radio transmissions between the um apollo module and um uh, houston um and there are occasional snippets of dialogue from uh neil armstrong michael collins and buzz aldrin the three astronauts who went to the moon if you didn't know that you should probably read a history book um and yes it's it was released uh, a year ago to coincide with the 50th anniversary of the moon landings. Um, if you don't believe the moon landings happened, you're wrong and you probably want to stop listening now because you'll have an aneurysm from the, uh, <laughs> the level of rage. But um, yeah, I I found this quite an overpowering experience. Um, the cleanup on the footage is incredible. Um, I was watching this with my partner and she turned around to me uh, during the opening, uh, the first act of the film, which is pre-launch. Um, mm. And most of the footage is rather domestic. It's uh, it's the crowds um, go watch it in glorious Technicolor, just on the outskirts of the um, of what's now known as the Kennedy Center. Um, just and this dazzling array of uh, 1960s Americana with these wonderful clothes and colors and the vibrant life. It really, it, it felt like it had been, at, my partner said it. she felt like a time traveller had just taken a modern camera and decided to film some of the, uh, some of the ambience of the time and see, see just to bring it back for us. Um, mm. it, it, it definitely does feel like a time capsule. Some of the, some of the imagery in the space centre is absolutely gorgeous and I'm not going to do any favours for the uh, for the moon landing conspiracy theorists now but it looked like the best kind of Stanley Kubrick set imaginable <laughs> just because mm. it, it felt so cinematic um, mm. I'm amazed I, I, apparently a lot of this footage hadn't seen the light of day um, and it's, it's incredible to me that it's taken 50 years for someone to travel through it and cut this to pieces uh, cut this into sort of a coherent narrative um, the scenes I found particularly effective because the the only problem with this documentary is there is very little footage of the mission itself because the practicalities of taking camera equipment on such a tiny, tiny um, um, uh, spacecraft. Um, However, so the the bulk of the movie is focused on the build-up and the launch sequence of the Saturn V rocket and the slow build-up because it's almost, it feels like about 20 minutes of countdown I didn't time it, but it felt quite elongated, but not in a way that was particularly boring, but it just a way that sort of racked up the nerves. I actually I actually felt more nervous watching this than I had watched First Man, which came out at a similar time, which I'd imagine we'll talk about. Mm. Um, but no, um, the, the combination of ar- archive footage restored in such high quality and presented in this way, I, I found it a very, I found it a very moving experience. Um, my only criticism... It's not so much criticism, more observation is that, again, there wasn't much to do play with in terms of the mission beyond launch. Uh, um, so we, we, we are dealt with basically everything they've got. There's an interesting take, uh, take. Rather than using the iconic image that was transmitted on television of Neil landing on the moon, oh, sorry, walking down to the moon and saying, you know, it's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. He missed out the A. <laughs> it's the biggest mistake in uh, human history. Um, he, um, we use a sort of an angle of a, a little. I, I assume it's a, um, it's like a sixteen mil camera that Buzz Aldrin was holding, it was like, like looking down from the log- module, and that was quite interesting. Um, but yeah, um, my only again, it's not so much a criticism. My only observation is that this was a very 
awe-inspiring and all-encompassing um, display of the mission, the technicality, um, the mm. and the cultural impact, and it felt like you were very much you were there. You were an American citizen watching this spectacular uh, feat of human ingenuity. I didn't feel like I knew the astronauts. I didn't really feel connected to them on an emotional level. It felt more. It felt quite clinical, quite um, a bit too precise, which is why I think this works best uh, as a complementary piece to First Man, which kind of, in a way, ignored the mission and focused squarely on Neil Armstrong, as realised by um, um, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. <laughs> I'm trying to focus on getting the astronauts' names correct so I don't embarrass myself. I totally forgot the actor who played Neil Armstrong in my favourite <laughs> film of last year. Um, so I, I I really enjoyed it. However, it is, it's frustrating watching it on the television, even though I have a lovely big TV. Um, it, it does feel like it was an IMAX fe- feature. Um, but yeah, I, it did come across as a bit cold to me. What was your thoughts? Um... Yeah, I think I'm I'm going to mimic some of your sentiment already. I think, well, I'm, I'm going to get my positives out of the way first. I think it is a stunning restoration job on that archival footage. Yes. Um, because it just the more you're watching, just go, go. If this is this is clearly footage from stuff, and the fact that it's so clean and it's kind of you get a, everything is in good vivid detail there yeah. is astonishing. So it must have taken hours hours and hours of work to get that footage not just processed but cleaned up and presented in the way and i think in that in itself is an achievement um and i think it's showing the step of the apollo 11 mission in such detail i think is is great for people who are really 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 invested in sort of like nasa and and how mankind has um progressed in space travel um the problem is for me is a bit it is a bit cold um, it's it's very cold. I think, and even though I know it's not included in the film, I think a bit of narration or maybe a bit of reflection could have helped bring those less versed in sort of like things like the NASA Tech yeah, side of things into like, it. It feels like at times they are relying on Matt Morton's score, which has an air of evangelist about it. Yeah. Um, well, well, it's kind of like they just sort of talk about, well, this, this, all right, this, we're going to go for this part of the mission. That means you need to make sure your thing is going at this speed and stuff like that. Now, for some people, obviously, for those kind of space knowledgeable, that's what you want to yeah, say. Space geeks, you kind of get the idea of why they need to do that. But I think if you were showing this in kind of like a, because I can imagine this being used as like something for a school lecture or something like that about about yes. space. But I think you still need to have some explanation as to why they need to be at that certain velocity, why they need to be on this certain course. See, and the fact it, is, it's not well explained. That's that's to me personally trying to watch the film. See, that's interesting you say that because I, I have a similar opinion, but not from the scientific perspective, but from the cultural perspective. I realise, talking to you right now, the film doesn't tell you why they went to the moon. The, uh, it, well, it seems an obvious it seems an obvious question but actually it's quite important context the sort of the, the competition involved the space race which it was an extension of the cold war and it doesn't really capture the sort of the patriotic patriotic push to do this although there's that what there is a there's a nice touch towards the end of the movie where they use archive of jfk yeah um, but again it it didn't feel again the the the, t- the mission itself is awe-inspiring, but I didn't feel mm. like there was enough c- 
context around it but and like you say the scientific element of it yeah i had, I had explained to my partner some of the the, you know, the um some of the, I'm, I'm not that well versed i'm just i know enough mm. to explain why they had to orbit the earth in order to sort of like uh, break away from the um the planet um, the planet's orbit and push the um module to the moon etc and things like that mm. it, I, yeah i think it could have done a bit more and it didn't have to it doesn't have to do it over the top no, it's just a, just a just a simple explanation, or just 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 the basic explanation of basically, if you go at this fast on this angle, you are going to miss your planet. <laughs> if you go at this fast at this angle, you will hit your planet. Good. That's all I need to know. Um, but um, yeah, I think I think my my general problem. I think you mentioned it earlier is about the emotional connection to the astronauts. You don't really have it. You have. I I felt more emotionally connected to First Man. Yes, which is uh, which it's, just, it's an interesting movie. It was what it was quite underrated. Um, mm. A really good movie, and it, it's a focus on a man who should be celebrated, whose achievements are credible. I mean, mm. he's the first man to land on the moon, and and it wasn't just a case of he sat there and waited to land. Like that incredible sequence in um, the, the moon landing sequence with. Um, <laughs> the petrol is slowly running out and there was a nice little info oh yeah the little little the little timer yeah i, I hadn't <laughs> realized it was only 17 seconds remained of fuel oh wow by the time they landed on the um yeah the, the yeah it, it um neil armstrong basically had to pilot by eye because they were going to land in a crater which they Oof. didn't take yeah so he he steered down and saved saved their lives and saved the mission mm. um there was a little touch in the documentary they're talking about like neil armstrong's heartbeat before descent and his heartbeat as they had landed <laughs> the, the one thing yeah it was like neil armstrong seemed to have the most sort of arresting heart rate in in the whole <laughs> film there's like aldrin and the and and the third astronaut were all seemed to be like oh yeah the 90s 80s neil armstrong 120 <laughs> it was like he was the captain of the most dangerous mission that's ever been attempted in human history yeah yeah i think overall with apollo 11 um i can salute the the use of the archival footage i i can it's it's nice to see that but considering that i've already kind of had the gist of the story and the gist of the mission from other from other entities like first man for example and hidden figures and stuff like that um it kind of feels like i'm going over stuff that i already know um and i think and I think the only people, I think the people that really will get get the most out of Apollo 11 are the people who are really fascinated with space travel, fascinated with the work that NASA does, fascinated with the whole moon landing and stuff in itself. Um, so I didn't mind watching it. Um, like I said, the problem is I already know the main bits and pieces. Uh, so it, so was, it wasn't in, compelling so, enough for you to revisit it in the future or go out of your I'll, way to watch it? I... I personally felt that apart from little, little, little bits and pieces, I didn't really learn anything new. Um, and that's not me trying to say that the documentary isn't doing its job. It's done its job in spades in terms of what it presents. The thing is, for me, I've just kind of gone, all right, moon landings, great achievement. Let's move on. Mm. And that's and that and, and unfortunately, that's how I came out of the film. Is as much, however impressive and constructive it is, and I'm sure it would look lovely on IMAX as well. Um, it, so it's, yeah, it's just a it's, bit too superficial a project. It's 
it's just a bit too technical for me. Yeah, I think. No, I, I think that's a reasonable. Uh, I think it's a reasonable perspective to have on this. It's a good. I, it's a good film choice. It's it's something. It's something different that I wouldn't regularly watch. So I'm still happy that I went off and watched it. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think just, a lot of people will get a lot from it, and it, as, even just as a piece of interest, I, I, I found I found the look of people at that time. I, I'm currently binging on Mad Men at the moment, and I was just like, oh. They got the costumes right. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, so I, I, I was, I'm a huge space nut. I find the Cold War fascinating and this this space race in particular really interesting because this was basically an exercise in demonstrating to the world that we can launch a nuclear missile at you from space, or you know, <laughs> launch a nuclear missile anywhere onto the planet. That was that's yeah. the. We just need to slowly get it on the platform and then work out the logistics of how. I found that fascinating. People don't appreciate how long it takes to move those things. (laughs) Mm. See, I felt this film was very good at giving scale, scale to time, scale to the size. Um, Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think you're right. It didn't really connect emotionally. I just found it incredible. I found it incredibly impressive, but I I felt First Man, which again, it's it's, I, I think is a really underrated movie did a better job at conveying the story and connecting you on an emotional level, which is what mm. I want from my films. Yeah. So, star rating. <sighs> tricky, tricky. I probably... Because this was quite an acclaimed piece, actually. I figured yeah. it did very well on the, uh, the festival scene. I don't think it's as good as some of the critical consensus at the time of its original release a year ago. However, I still think it's a stunning achievement, so I'm tempted to give it four stars. I'm. I think on my on my personal level, I think the most I can give it is two and a half. Two and a half, really? And, that low? And 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 it and it's not because and it's not because it's a terrible movie. It is a completely made, stunning documentary of footage and stuff like that. The reason I'm giving it two and a bit is because I didn't feel engaged with it, <laughs> and and I felt like, like I said earlier, I don't think I learned much new stuff about the moon landing and it, which I already picked up from other places so it's not it's not that I'm sitting there going it's a terrible movie it's no it's a good movie it's just it's probably not for me yes yeah, it didn't really serve the purpose that you were expecting yeah. it and I, I think that I personally think that's reasonable to be honest yeah. um, no I'm, I'm I'll stick with my rating I'm, I'm I, I, I would recommend it if I figure out if you're a space nut do watch it grab it in UHD yeah. Um, I will probably revisit it in the future, but again, it's that's because it's something personal interest. I don't know if the average cinema goer or even the average documentary fan will, you know, mm. will go out of, should go out of the way to watch this, mm. which is a yeah, strange one, yeah. strange one, strange one. But check it out for yourself, Apollo Eleven on Netflix right now. Let us know your thoughts. Right, so it's coming to the end of uh, this episode of Film Raw. Uh, so, next time out, I think I've already made my choice for viewing. We're going to look at Amazon Originals' uh, The Aeronauts with Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones. Yes, and I <laughs> I have a confession, which is slightly <laughs> embarrassing. I had picked The English Game, which is the uh, new drama based on the origins of uh, modern-day football or soccer for our American audiences. Which um, looks interesting. It looks very interesting. It looks really interesting. It's um, It's been written by Julian Fellows, of course, famous for um, uh, Downton Abbey. Downton! And um, the uh, Gosford Park, um, which is, yep. um, if you haven't seen Gosford Park, do watch it. It's a very good period piece. 
Um, Stephen Fry's in it for about two minutes. Worth your money. Um, and then I discovered um, at the same time as Ian did that it's actually a ten-part television series. <laughs> I don't Go. know. I don't know why I thought it was a film. Christian, yeah. what's the name of the podcast? <sighs> television Raw. No. <laughs> <laughs> so no. Um, it's probably something that I. I think. I. I you know. I if we did, if we did I have Raw. seen press releases that have described it as a film. It, maybe there's a movie edition. Maybe there's a movie edition. Yeah, it, it may have been, yeah. Um, but I I am humbled for my ignorance. Unless you want to go out and find the uh, the film that FIFA commissioned to celebrate Seb Blatter. Oh, God. <laughs> Tim Roth. Oh, who's in it again? Big Tim name. Roth. Tim Roth, yes. <laughs> I cannot believe the gall of Seb Blatter. I mean, anyone not interested in football right now is going to be bored out of their minds. But my God, he is one of the most corrupt... Awful human beings to have ever gotten his hand on the beautiful game. And just as the walls are crumbling and the police are investigating, it's quite obvious that he's going to be done for fraud. He's making a period piece, which is, what would you describe it? It's a fluff piece? Um, basically, it's look how amazing Seth Blatter is. Look at him, yes. look at him. Look how Tim McRoth plays him. <laughs> it's like looking in a mirror. What, what, what only, only like evil dictators commission films based on their lives to present them in such a positive way as the um you know the enemies encroaching and is about to destroy their regime it's the sort, it, sort of thing goebbels did for god's sake no this this reminds me of the, the simpsons episode where mr burns makes his biopic oh, of burns the, for all the, seasons um, hispanic um senior spielberg a spielberg go that episode is so good <laughs> I know Matt Groening wasn't a fan because he didn't want the crossover, but the critic it's still, it's still great. good. It's, it's still good, and the critic itself was a decent little show. Never watched it. Never watched it. Uh, I have it on Region One DVD, buried away in my boxes of DVDs and Blu-rays somewhere out there. Throw it my way. Um, so, so you need to figure out. No, 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 no. Uh, I'm going to find. Oh. I'm going to find the Set Blatter film. What was it called? Oh, uh, I'm going to have to. I'm going to quickly Google it. Sorry for the typing. Sap. Latter movie. Film. United Passions, that was it. Oh God, uh, Sam Neill's in it, it as well. United Passions. Sh- is it available online? Uh oh gosh. Do you know, do you know, it's, got- it's on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> it's on YouTube right. to I think actually buy Um I So it's um it made six hundred and seven dollars. <laughs> oh, Success. Oh, no, no, it made about $160,000 altogether. And um, so, yeah, Sepp Blatter was played by Tim Roth. Uh, Jules Rimet was played by Joe Depardieu. And um, Gerard Neil Depardieu. Uh, you have a lunch. There's two um, influential figures of the, the foundation of FIFA. Do you, know, do you know what its rating is on IMDb? <laughs> is it 2.1? Yes. It's got 1% <laughs> on Metacritic. Uh, you know, oh. I don't feel like we need to... Uh, I don't feel oh, like we God. need to review this film. I think, oh, I think it may have been on Amazon Prime. Really? I'm not sure. Two seconds. We'll chip this bit out, but let me look. United Passions. What we need to do is we need to, one, when this coronavirus uh, situation sorts itself out in whatever way that may form, we need to hang out, get drunk, and watch United Passions. 
Yeah, I don't think it's ava- I don't think it's available online, Sally. So you may have to go back to the drawing board to, again. I have to find a DVD from eBay or something. <laughs> so yes, that's when we that's when we have normal that's when we have normal film rules. So I, I, hope, I hope film the actors role. involved got were able to like buy a new mansion out of this terrible, terrible. I think I think Tim Roth was on record of just taking the money and run, and he just he hasn't looked at the film since. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably a good sense. So yes, you're gonna have to go into you're gonna have to go back online and find and find something either either on that level or something I actually, actually engaging. I, I do actually have an alternative pick. It is Ooh. a Ed Helm movie. Um, oh, okay. Called Coffee and Kareem. It's a Ooh. comedy, basically. Uh, Ed Helm plays a character who is the he's a police officer called James Coffey. He's in a, rela- a new relationship with a woman who has a child from a previous relationship. Uh, 12-year-old boy Is she called, called Cream? Yes, yes. <laughs> now, I get the impression... Yep. So, oh, this is going to be fun! Yes. So, this is Netflix's big release of next week. And normally oh, I'd ignore this kind, of, this kind of dross. But Ed Helm... I really like as a comedic performer. I am a yeah. big fan of his work in... I thought he was great in the Hangover movies, even though these films are not that great, if I'm being perfectly honest. First, first Hangover is is good. Oh, yeah, yeah. The other two are horrible pieces of cinema that I do not want to watch again. Absolutely. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. Um, and I think he was very good in The Office as well. So I, oh, I'm yeah. going to give this the benefit of the doubt because Ed Helm is... He's a safe pair of hands, so hopefully this isn't just a film that came about He's... because a executive came up with a pun first. Oh, what was it? Um, Ed Helm also starred in a comedy film that I like called The Goods. Oh, I never heard of it. Um, basically, it, it's made under the same house from uh, the Will Ferrell group of people. But Jeremy Piven plays like the world's greatest salesman. Oh, right. And he assemble he assembles a team to go to a small remote village to uh, in America to sell the whole entirety of cars off this particular car dealership. And Ed Helms is the is the troublesome villain who doesn't want them to succeed. Oh, okay. It's it's it is a really bizarre comedy. Um, it has Will Ferrell dressed up as Abraham Lincoln parachuting out. Um, <laughs> How do you stop? You've sold me the film already it, i think it, i think it was on amazon prime so uh there you go if you if you fancy a bit of a giggle it's only an hour and 20 minutes as well which is incredibly short so. i i love the older i'm getting the short the more i love short films <laughs> it's like is your film under 80 minutes yes yeah. come on in like come on in all disney animated films under eight well most of them are under 80 minutes mm. come on in uh, come on in. my life but, is a courgette it's about 60 minutes long it's a french animation uh, the courgette have you seen it i love i've heard of it haven't seen it watch it it's very good um illusionist is another good french animation it's about 70 minutes long Ooh. Bit, a bit heartbreaking it's from the same people who did uh triplets uh, of um um, yes, them. the word at the end, which I can't pronounce. Vendezvous, Belle de Ville, Vendezvous. Yes, yes, like something like that. Yeah, <laughs> we sound so professional yeah. as film commentators right now. Yeah, yes, the French thing. I forgot Ryan Gosling's name. You, I, I forgot that the English game wasn't a film. <laughs> I didn't realize looping the third wasn't the third. <laughs> wasn't the third. It's like. It's like, have there been lovers? Have there been Lupin the first? Lupin the second? Is this like Doctor Who? No, Christian. <laughs> that, that is generally my first question whenever watching any content. It's like, is mm. this Doctor Who? No, it's a Pink Floyd album. 
Ah, yeah. that's why I can only hear it. Yes. <laughs> this is where I get but, really pedantic uh, and get into big Phyllish audio dramas. But even that, oh, that was that? Oh, yeah, I can confirm we've lost our last listener. We did oh. it, Ian. No one's oh, listening. No. Oh, <laughs> Despite no. the fact that everyone is stuck at home, no one is even listening to us. Oh, but if you have seen both of these films this episode, do let us know your thoughts. Contact at bunkzilla.co.uk. Any film suggestions as well, send them through there. So we'll be back very, very soon with a brand new episode talking about Aeronauts and... Coffee and cream. And coffee and bloody cream. <laughs> Kareem. Uh, yes, that's the kid's name. Is it with a K? Yes. Ah, Does that make more sense Karim. to you? It's still, I mean, it's yes. still a dreadful pun, but it's it's still it's it's still a, a it's still a bad pun for a movie title. But <laughs> but at some point, someone's going to say coffee and cream, and someone's going to go ah ah! They said it! They said it! Like the Family Guy thing. <laughs> <laughs> I wish Just the audience like, could see how hard you're poking me through the webcam right now. Like poking, poking, poking. poking. <laughs> Oh, uh, it's like you know, you know, a film success if someone actually says the title of the film in the film. So Apollo Eleven and Castle of Calistro is fine. Yeah, they did. They did say it was a bit weird that they kept mentioning Apollo Eleven in Loop in the Third, though. I was a bit confused by that. Yeah, yeah. And then I realised I was watching the Apollo Eleven documentary. <laughs> anyway, this is, this anyway, is, thank- this is why the Godfather Part Two is such a bad movie because there are no point to the ever go Part Two. Oh, it's like ah, you are the Godfather. Two. That sounded more like the music from um oh um Jean de Florette and the Man in the Springs as opposed to uh the Godfather. I, I think that's the Godfather theme. If I'm wrong, it, it, it I'm was, terribly, it was, terribly it was sorry. Similar. It was similar. <laughs> Just random little tidbits. Speaking of like um, things you can't say. Um, I don't know if anybody said this or not, but there's, um, there's a great little anecdote from The Godfather. So, you know, the mafioso were actually involved in mm. the production to the extent where they basically would squeeze on them if they didn't like anything that was in the film. The yeah. one word they insisted be removed from the film was mafia. Okay. Yeah, they, they, every other imaginable term, like, like mob, gangsters and things like that it's all fine but yeah mafia so you won't hear that word at all in the it best is, mafia movie ever made it's like yeah if you want to talk about marble gangsters it's fine but mafia forget about it so we've discovered that you could do a really good emperor palpatine but your uh your chicago gangster eh. has a little bit uh a little bit eh, eh. a few shortcomings eh, forget him forget about it you know i'll get belly we'll come over we'll we'll have a couple of steaks We'll hit, we'll shovel. And I can update our listeners. We are now into the <laughs> negatives. We have minus five <laughs> listeners right now, Ian, and that's your fault. I'm going to get them back with some rope and some tar. I don't know what I'm talking Right, you have, a cho- <laughs> you have a choice. You can end this broadcast as either a, <laughs> as either a member of the Sopranos <laughs> or <laughs> Darth Sidious, your choice. yourself breathe oh I need to get back to that do it there we go if you liked this episode of Film Raw we'll be back very soon but until next time I've been Darth Sidious with my loyal Padwan Christian hi bye guys 
We'll see you next time on Bungzilla Film Raw. I'm not editing. <laughs> I'm not editing any of this out. Goodbye. You horrible person. <laughs> bye bye. Adios. Benito.